Good evening, everyone. Friends, uh, as you probably have figured out, we're moving into um, the end of our liturgical year. So we will celebrate in two weekends uh, Christ the King, which ends this liturgical year, and the new one begins with Advent. And so the readings reflect that. So that's why we're hearing what we call end-time readings. And so Father Mark's homily is going to be end-time homily. <laughs> So my friends, our first reading from the Book of Wisdom, it's kind of, uh, I was looking at it last night and this morning, it's kind of a eulogy of sorts uh, to wisdom, uh, almost a lament uh, about wisdom. Uh, and our second reading, while we may look at it and laugh, um, St. Paul is addressing a fear that people had. They thought Jesus was coming back in about seven days, and when he didn't return that quickly, they began to panic. What were they panicking about? They were panicking about, they were worried about their family members who were dying. And they thought, well, if Jesus doesn't come back, those who have died are going to be bones in the ground. And while we may look and say, oh, come on. But that's the early church, and that's what they thought. So St. Paul's addressing it. This is what he's talking about, so you understand the context of it, um, what he's saying. And he's saying, surely this cannot be. Uh, he said, they will be with him, and we will follow uh, our gospel, and I quote Jesus, those who were ready went into the wedding feast with him. This is an indication for the reader, meaning us, that this teaching is about being prepared. But um, as all things, Jesus is giving a story, a parable. Uh, we have to understand what, how did they understand what Jesus was saying? Uh, when he spoke about seeds, he was talking to farmers. When he was talking about uh, other, you know, the people understood a particular way. So let us look at the functions of bridesmaids in the culture and time of Jesus when he walked the earth, because it's a little bit different from what they are today. There is this ceremonial perspective, of course. They added beauty and pageantry to a wedding. Uh, that's kind of what they do today. <laughs> Um, but there was also a very, very practical and expected role of them. The bridesmaids were to keep the bride company, of course, until the groom arrived, and then things changed. When the groom's approach was announced, the bridesmaids are expected to meet him. They are expected to assist him to get to his bride. It was unlikely in Jesus' time that the groom lived on the corner, down the street. It was likely he lived in another town and was unfamiliar, really. So they needed to help him with location to find his bride, uh, who he may be seeing for the first time, ever. <laughs> because <laughs> marriages were arranged back then by mom and dad. So he was probably unfamiliar with the bride's home and exactly where the ceremony would take place. So they acted as guides. And oftentimes, as we heard, um, they needed oil lamps because the, and normally now the, it is the bride who is late to the wedding. <laughs> then it was the groom who was late to the wedding because he's coming from another town. So likely he's coming in the evening then. And they needed um, these lamps to move about town so they could see. There's no street lamps back then. And so the groom had, and this is really hard and sounds, 
the groom had every right and expectation for this much-needed attention of the bridesmaids. Often the groom was delayed and the bridesmaid had to be prepared for whenever he showed up. Once the groom was in the presence of the bride, they got him to her, ushered it in, they would shut the door. And uh, if a guest or a bridesmaid was not ready, the consequences were extreme embarrassment socially for that person. So, who was Jesus speaking to when he first said this? He was speaking to the listeners of his time, those who were right in front of him. And who was right in front of him? The Hebrew people, the Jews. The foolish bridesmaids are the Jewish people. They have missed the wedding feast because they did not recognize Jesus as the groom. They have lost their place in the kingdom of God by rejecting him as Messiah, as the Son of God. They were unprepared. You got that? For us Christians, then, for the Christian church, how shall we understand this teaching now? Let us begin with the early church. The early church saw it as a reflection of their own situation. Remember what I said about our second reading? St. Paul is addressing the people saying, Jesus isn't coming back. I thought he was coming back in about five days, but he's not. This is five months later, and he's still not here, right? And so the early church saw it as a reflection of their own situation. They believed, as the second reading was telling us, the second coming was imminent, that Jesus would soon return and establish his kingdom. So when Jesus did not return when they expected, they were confused. And they saw in this story from Matthew an allegory containing Jesus' answer about what the problem was, what's going on. In the parable, God the Father is the one who arranges the marriage. Remember, I told you parents are the ones who arrange the marriage. Jesus is the groom. The Christian community is the ten virgins. And the barring of the door is considered to be the last judgment. The way for the early church and today to respond to the delay of the groom of the second coming is to not grow careless or not to be negligent like the foolish virgins, but to always be prepared as exampled by the wise virgins. There's a final symbolism, of course, with the oil. And people read this and at first they're like, oh, you know, that's not very nice. <laughs> the bridesmaids should get along together. <laughs> it's not what that's about. Um, the oil represents good works. So uh, although some read it and think, oh, that's not very nice of the other five. They should have given a little, a little bit at least, right? Well, no. Um, uh, as we were told, if they were given the oil, the, all the lamps might go out then because there won't be enough. This would put the groom in jeopardy because he won't be able to find his bride. Oil and light, which came from, you know, the light came from the oil lamps, were often used in the Old Testament. This is how the, they would have understood it. 
as symbols for good works. As one cannot attribute one's good deeds to another, so the wise virgins cannot share their oil, their good works. The scripture says, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he says, I don't know you. And my friends, I know when we read that, and you've, I've been here long enough, you know those are the words I don't want to hear from Jesus. Because it, it sounds terrible, and it sounds shockingly final. Perhaps many today believe that that could not happen to them or to him or her. But the message is, it can. I'm talking about us today. In our world, with the rise of atheism and agnosticism, just to name two types of ideologies, we see a lack of faith and belief in God. But what of the practical lack of faith found in many Christians? It's an odd attitude to hear a Christian say, well, maybe there is a God up there. I better side with that as if it's a bet and get myself to church once in a while, pray once in a while, perhaps think about it once in a while. However, in the day-to-day faith, it is not taken seriously. They live in a world where God has a more ceremonial part to play. This is a heartbreaking thought. And if you want to know what scares me, it's that. Because this thought implies that for many, God is no longer experienced as a living person to whom we actually talk and have a relationship with versus this notion of some religious connection with God from some time ago associated with some building somewhere. You see what I'm getting at? As symbols, God and religion stand for a certain way of life, they would put. But they are not important in the actual day-to-day affairs of his disciples. That is not to say that people are not interested in moral guidelines some forms of justice, but the evidence suggests folks rely on human wisdom and self-interest as being foundational in contrast to the personal relationship with the living God whose reality should eclipse that of the world. He created it. What am I saying is that um, this is... There are times when we Christians, we have our dark night and our time in the desert. But this is something different. This is more than a little passing on belief or a little time of doubt. It seems that for many Christians, God is absent from their ordinary consciousness in the lives of many believers. In the battle between the gospel and society and culture, Sometimes, sometimes it feels as if culture has the upper hand. Societies are seemingly brutalized by so many wicked things 
found in institutions and ideologies. And um, my friends, and uh, what they put forth is me, 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 me. Me first. Me, me, me. And if I don't get my way, let it be an eye for an eye. And that will leave everyone blind. Think about it. My friends, the church faces a tremendous challenge. Suspending just for a moment the notion that evangelization is for those who know not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church faces a challenge of a new type of evangelization, of culture, of education, of media, and Lord have mercy of politics, and large corporations that run the world. You want to laugh at me and say, oh, Father, stop being so dramatic. <laughs> Watch TV. Read the newspaper. Speak to people about what's on their minds, these very things. But perhaps, as a priest, the most urgent and most important evangelization is of our own people. Of our own people. This teaching found in the gospel was meant for you and I. It was too late for Israel, for they had missed the moment. So why then would Jesus tell this story except to be more of a warning to the future rather than some lament of his heart in the past? And note this teaching. This story comes and has filled our Lord's mind and heart as his life is going to draw to an end in this world. He's on his way to the crucifixion when he's telling this. It would be tragic for us today to repeat ancient Israel's mistake. It would be a tragedy for us Christians today to spend our lives in the kingdom of God on earth, here the church, and yet miss the final chapter of salvation. It is the Bible's assumption. Remember, the Bible is not one book. It is many, written over a great span of time. It is the Bible's assumption that our human death will catch many in the way we normally live, day by day. Be that a friend of God or an enemy of God, and be it in a prepared state or one of drowsiness. While today, many do not expect the end of the world anytime soon. Nevertheless, we Christians know that the exact day and hour that the Lord will come for us is unknown. So the message of the gospel is the same as it was when Jesus spoke it to the Israelites. Don't get careless. Don't get forgetful. Be ready and prepared. 
I don't want this to be a gloom homily. So, my dear friends, this is our grace-filled time. May each of you live each day worthily and joyfully and with the absolute knowledge and great hopeful expectation that the Lord is in fact coming. And all you can do is be ready to greet him when he comes with joy in your heart. Amen? Not fire and brimstone. I'm not, I can't do those. I, I leave that to the other priests. They're good at it. They even scare me. <laughs> but everything in the scriptures, go back and reread it and see what it's saying and understand Jesus' words over 2,000 years ago are living today. I often teach you how it applied in Jesus' time, how they understood it. Great Father, but what does that mean for me? I just showed you. What does it mean for you today? And he means it for you. In this case, that particular gospel of Matthew was meant for you, not for the Israelites. It was already done. So Jesus spoke it as a warning for us. That way you can't say, you didn't tell me, Jesus. You'll say, you remember that crazy priest, Father Mark in Gig Harbor? <laughs> remember that, my servant? He told you. He told you. He told you. <laughs> and hopefully I'll be waving. Hi. <laughs> Hello. I finally made it on the court jester. <laughs> Inside of heaven. Hmm? I have to leave you with smiles and, and hope in your heart. Huh? Please discern the reading. and under, Are there other ways to understand it? Of course. This is the best that I have for you. Okay. My friends, in this time... Um, We Christians, we pray for our elected leaders, all of them, whether we like them or not. We pray for our current president. We pray now for the president-elect and all those who uh, have been elected into their different offices. We pray for them. We ask God to continue to protect our country and to move our country uh, according to his will and to help all of our politicians to understand this. Our part is sort of easy. We pray on their behalf. God has to change their heart. <laughs> That's the work. <laughs> That's hard work. It's hard work, not impossible, because all things are possible to God. But that's what we do. Of course, we prayer leads to action, so there's other things. But in this time now, please, Pray for all of our elected leaders, okay?